Operation Midland was formally closed in March 2016 with no charges brought by the Met. The inquiry had lasted 16 months and had cost around £2 million. So far, no one, not one individual or organisation has been properly held to account over Operation Midland, I would say. The Met have paid out half a million to Harvey Proctor. Mm. They paid £100,000 to Lord Bramall before his death. £100,000 to you as well. So a lot of money they've agreed to pay out. They're reluctant to pay Harvey. Mm. They've paid out this money. You'd suspect that they agree they've done something wrong, but no officers have been held to account. On the contrary, ex-Met chief Lord Hogan Howe has been made a peer and is now a Cabinet Office Advisor. Cressida Dick, who was Assistant Commissioner of the Launch Assistant Commissioner for Operation Midland and has defended her officers to the hilt, has been made Head of the Met and been given a damehood. Steve Rodhouse bungled not only Operation Midland but Operation Vincenti and in his previous life in Surrey Police made a hash of the Jimmy Savile investigation. He's been promoted to Deputy Head of the National Crime Agency on a pay package of in the region of £300,000. He's working for his old boss from Surrey and the Met, Lynn Owens. Detective Superintendent Kenny MacDonald retired without sanction on a bumper police pension. Diane Tudway, as previously discussed, promoted to superintendent while under investigation, is now retired. Tom Watson has left Parliament and is now a self-proclaimed slimming guru and has landed a job as chairman of UK Music. These are the key characters. There are others as well caught up in this. I mean, when you listen to that, to use a tabloid phrase, a reward for failure, some might say, how does that make you feel? I suppose I'm not so much concerned, I mean, personally, about what's happened in terms of promotion, etc. What I worry about is the fact that in this investigation there were monumental errors and nobody is able to find the culture to say we got it horribly wrong, I mean so horribly wrong, and you know, this is, these are the measures that we're going to take, because the real thing is the failure of the system to protect its citizens, which is in this case, you know, introduce them and then you apologise, but it's not, you've, you've already done the damage. And I would love to see a, a culture of leadership that allowed the, the police forces to say they were horribly, horribly wrong and they were putting it right in the following ways. And I think your catalogue of what has happened merely says that nobody will criticise you really and this is quite an internal organisation and this is what's happened. But if an ex-High Court judge is saying very clearly that the law was broken, if the judge who granted the warrants, Howard Riddle, has said that he was misled, and that's the statement which he's effectively said. Yeah. I mean, there is a two judges saying that, and the law has well, been broken. Crime has been committed, mm -hmm. according to two judges, and no one has been held to account. Well, that, but my point is exactly that. It's not so much about the enrichment. It's about the fact that we don't have as independent a watchdog as we should do, and we don't have a police force, it seems to me, a metropolitan police force anyway, that can really stand by its mistakes, publicly say, we got it wrong and we're sorry. 
I mean, that, that doesn't seem to happen because the culture does not appear to be one of admitting error. Has there been a cover-up? Well, it's very difficult. In your opinion? And you're entitled no, to your No, opinion. no. What there hasn't been is the acknowledgement and the consequences of making a lot of errors. So you could argue that the cover-up is because nothing has happened and nobody, apart from the odd apology, no single person has been held to account. But there's also the body of the Metropolitan Police, which maybe is learning some lessons from this, but doesn't seem to be apparently learning them. When Beach was convicted, Mm. Deputy Commissioner Sir Stephen House came out of Scotland Yard to say, we admit we didn't get everything right. Whilst the Met is clear that our organisation did not get everything right, the IPC stated in March 2017 that it had found no evidence to indicate bad faith, malice or dishonesty on the part of our officers as they investigated the allegations made by Beach. I mean, that's sort of like understatement of the year. Well, well, that's a very, you know, that's quite an understatement. But no, there were a lot of things that were absolutely wrong. And therefore, I mean, this is about the culture. So the culture isn't to say, we're sorry, we made mistakes. Because, of course, you know, the reason yeah. people don't admit blame yeah. is because they're terrified of, you know, being pilloried or press crucifies them or whatever. But I'd just like to see a little bit more humility and the, uh, the ability to say, we're very sorry, this should never have happened, and this is what we're doing to make it never, ever happen again. What I'm wondering is, mm. has there been a political cover-up here for this reason? Because I've known police officers be disciplined mm. for travelling in a first-class carriage when they should be in a second-class carriage with their police warrant card. Disciplined, mm. threatened with mm. losing their jobs. Mm for not filling in their expenses forms properly, maybe Mm. benefiting from £5 Mm. or something like that. I'm not defending those actions, but it's a disciplined organisation. And, you know, I repeat, two judges have said, uh, law's been broken. Sir Richard threw the book at the Met. No one has been held to account. In fact, it's, Mm. you know, when Steve Rodhouse left the Met three years ago to get this huge job at the National Crime Mm. Agency, Cressida Dick paid a very public glowing tribute to him she called him professional hard-working and compassionate well i suppose i couldn't possibly comment i mean he was the gold commander does the buck Uh, stop with him or a higher up in the organization well in the end the metropolitan police is the senior police force in the united kingdom and these were the senior officers of the senior police force and i just feel that nobody has accepted that what they did was fundamentally wrong. Nobody has accepted that. And I just would wish that there would be some feeling that I'm not talking about putting it right, putting this right now, but I'm talking about having a culture that allows people to not only learn by their mistakes, but to admit they were completely wrong. And I haven't really seen that. Of course, there have been apologies, but apologies aren't quite the same. You can't say we made a few errors. You know, we made some fundamental errors in this particular case. And you can't expect everyone to be perfect all the time. But this one is a particular case of the effect of what was done on the people concerned. In relation to that corporate culture, the moral leadership or failure of a moral compass at the top of the Metropolitan Police, is it a case of who you know rather than what you know? I have asked the National Crime Agency in the past how many people applied for 
the job that Mr Rodhouse now has? They've refused to answer that question. Previously, I've asked Lynn Owens to state publicly her support for Steve Rodhouse. She's declined to do so. This is not a personal matter, but he is the person most people would have thought the buck would stop with on Midland, Vincenti and the Jimmy Savile case in Surrey, and he's been promoted off the back of it. I mean, that is very puzzling, to put it mildly. I suppose I'm a great believer in open recruitment processes. And when you recruit, and I've done a lot of recruiting one way and another as an independent advisor, I would always want to make sure that the recruitment process is made public if somebody asks for it, and you know exactly who was shortlisted, who was interviewed, why they were shortlisted, why people were turned down. So it seems to me this type of process for all these senior jobs should be much the same. But it may not be. It may, there may be more opacity around these uh, senior appointments in the police force than in certain other areas. In October 2019, Sir Richard Henriquez, the ex-High Court judge, wrote a scathing piece for the Daily Mail about the police watchdog report, which cleared five uh, Operation Midland detectives for alleged misconduct. Sir Richard said that there was no effective interrogations carried out during the inquiry by the Independent Office for Police Conduct. He said it was a flawed report and he expressed his alarm at the watchdog's lack of knowledge of criminal procedure and also attacked the gross and inexcusable delays, his words, and lamentable and inadequate inquiry. Now, this is from a retired High Court judge who knows a lot about the Nick case, Operation Midland, because he wrote the report. He spent several months doing it. In my experience, judges, particularly High Court judges, don't exaggerate, they don't gild the lily, they deal with facts. And here was the most damning verdict imaginable on the police watchdog. Do you agree with him that there appears to have been a whitewash and there are very serious questions about the professionalism of the IOPC in relation to their inquiries into Operation Midland? I think I agree with Sir Richard that this was a flawed report. I think I agree with Sir Richard that there was a lack of understanding of the criminal law and I think I agree with Sir Richard that there were some inexperienced people on it. The result of all of this, because I went to meet the IOPC before the report was published and indeed read through it then, and that draft report raised, raised some questions and indeed I raised some questions and one of them was what happened, in, particularly in terms of the search warrants, was not misconduct. What is misconduct? Which there was no answer. However, as a result of being asked by the Home Affairs Select Committee to put forward my own experience of the IOPC and indeed the Operation Kentia report, which is what it's called, I have done so. And that is now lodged with the Home Affairs Select Committee who are investigating the IOPC. And I understand from an email that I've just received is that that investigation is now underway with the Home Affairs Select Committee of the House of Commons. I have certainly indicated that they can make public my submission and I hope that they will take what I say from my experience into account when they come to think about the 
remit and the powers and the existing way that the IOPC operates. The Home Affairs Select Committee, don't need to tell you, is an influential committee, but the issues in the Nick scandal seem so serious that something else needs to happen to, to get to the very bottom of what's happened here because there is a stench, there continues to be a stench of some sort of police and political cover-up. I am not a conspiracy theorist. That is not me as a journalist. But there is. The Home Affairs Select Committee inquiry into this could be an important stepping stone, couldn't it, to maybe further transparency and people being held to account? I think if the um, Home Affairs Select Committee does its job very thoroughly and looks at the existing powers of the IOPC and whether or not they're going to look at this report, I think they are, they will, of course, have to come to their own decisions. But I think it is right to say that the report is not without quite serious flaws. Whether they'll ever be addressed, I don't know. But my view is that the report is pretty much close to a whitewash. That coming from a former long-serving magistrate, that coming from the widow of a former Home Secretary, that coming from someone who doesn't court controversy is really damning, Lady Britain. No comment. No comment to that. I asked the Met a few years ago about the Jane rape case and her allegations and whether they were going to investigate her for allegedly perverting the course of justice, making false allegations deliberately. And they came back to say, and I kept an audit trail of all these interactions I've had with the Met over the last six years in relation to Operation Midland and Vincenti, that there was no evidence that she had misled the police. That reminded me of what Steve Rodhouse said about Carl Beach at the end of Operation Midland that there was no evidence that he had willfully misled the police. Now, in relation to the Sir Richard Henriquez report, he directed the Met to investigate two other liars, as he called them, witnesses A and B, for supporting the allegations made by Carl Beach. So Sir Richard directed the Met to do that. These men were criminals. I think they're both in prison. They've got a shocking record. They lied, and I think Sir Richard's very clear that they should be investigated, and I think that he would have expected them to be charged. The Met have repeatedly refused to do that. They've refused to explain their rationale for doing that, and Harvey Proctor is very unhappy about this and is in touch with one of Cresta Dick's sort of chief troubleshooters, Helen Ball, about an independent investigation into why A and B were not investigated and prosecuted. A cynic might think that the Met don't want more bad news in relation to Operation Midland. I just wondered what your dispassionate view is on that, because, Lady Britain, no-one should be above the law, should they, however embarrassing it is to a police force. Nobody should be above the law, and I suppose I go back to my first point, is if, in the Vincenti case... There were four facts which could or could not have been checked. And if they were checked, they were not acted on. 
And all I can say to that, I suppose, and to what you've just said, is that maybe this indicates that there is a corporate culture or a lack of a moral compass, whatever you like to call it, at the top of the Met. And it seems to me that I have no real knowledge of the A and B cases, and I know that Harvey Proctor is pursuing them. All I can say is good luck to him. What is it that concerns you about the moral compass at the top of Scotland Yard in particular? Well, I suppose as a former magistrate, indeed the wife of an ex-home secretary, I've always believed that a strong moral compass is essential to every public body and especially to police forces and above all to its leadership. I think it's very important. However, it just seems to me that the Metropolitan Police has preferred its corporate or personal ambitions to a strong moral compass. And what it seems to have happened, seems to me, is that it led to distortions in the cases that I'm familiar with. And all of that is despite the conclusions reached by Sir Richard Enrique's report. There were things that were severely wrong, and in his view, probably criminally wrong. I suppose the question that I must ask myself, and maybe I ask publicly, is when and how is the corporate culture going to change? I've felt, because I've worked on this story for six years now, that there has been a, a real lack of transparency. It's through gritted teeth on occasions the Met have had to make concessions. Most recently, 18 months ago, when I belatedly realised or learned that Cressler Dick was the assistant commissioner who oversaw the launch of Operation Midland in November 2014. She appeared on Nick Ferrari's LBC radio show and was questioned on her involvement. Commissioner, you'll be aware questions are being asked in some areas as to your involvement in Operation Midland. This was the the, the Nick inquiry, if you were. What was your knowledge of that operation? Mm. Um, So I was Assistant Commissioner Specialist Crime and Operations, um, appointed in July, I think, 2014. Um, Operation Midland started in November. Exactly. 2014. And I left the Met... Uh, at the end of 2014 and in fact was was handing over um, during December 2014. So I would uh, say my involvement was short and at the very beginning. I was a senior assistant commissioner, you know, I was the assistant commissioner for that bit of the business that dealt with child abuse, dealt with homicide, dealt with rape uh, and uh, so I was given some briefings about the start of Operation Midland. How concerned were you? People understandably at the highest level want to this Operation Midland scandal to go away, but it's not helped when I asked her through one of her senior press officers to confirm her role in Operation Midland. A lot of the questions were blocked. I wasn't given answers. It's scandalous. And, and when you don't get transparency from a force, whether you're a journalist or someone caught up in a situation like this yourself, you have to wonder why, don't you? And you have to wonder what else is there which has been hidden from the public. Well, don't get me wrong. I think it's very difficult, being a leader in anything, to be at the top of an organisation. It's lonely at the top. But I think I'm absolutely convinced that you have to take responsibility for the mistakes that are made within your organisation. You have not to be frightened of admitting 
your mistakes because that's what it seems to me it's, it seems to have happened in this case that nobody wants to admit to any mistakes but I mean it's clear to me that uh, mistakes of a fairly serious nature have been made and although apologies have been offered they're not quite the same as trying to change the corporate culture of openness and transparency which is perhaps what organisations and governments strive towards. But I think a lot of this comes down to culture. And one of the things that interests me is, as an outcome is the uh, police appear to have a culture which is cover-up and flick away. So in that particular instance, nobody really ever, ever has come out to say we made a monumental mistake. I mean, Richard Enriquez said that. But well, he said the police broke the law. You know, indeed, indeed. An ex-High Court but, judge, no less. What I'm absolutely fascinated by is, given that this really was something that shouldn't have happened, and indeed has been borne out perhaps by the Enriquez report, nobody will take responsibility or say that it was appalling, or we're really going to learn from it. We never want this to happen again. I mean, it's, it's partly to do with the culture. The culture is cover-up. In his last newspaper interview, Lord Bramall said that he felt more antipathy towards the Metropolitan Police, that they should have been in the dock more than Carl Beach. Well, I think I rather agree with Lord Bramall. Why? I th well, for, for the, much the same reasons that he gave, is that the failures of a police force, who are, you know, after all, an arm of the state, who are there to punish the guilty and to support the innocent, fell down in this particular case. Would you characterise Carl Beach as wicked? What do you see as his motivation? I wish I knew. And in a way, I'm not the sort of person who goes around saying, you know, X is wicked and Y is evil and all the rest of it. I mean, I don't know the motivation. I can't guess at it. It may have been for money. It may have been for fame. Who knows, actually. But nonetheless, the major failings are with those who were, if you like, taken in by, didn't do what they should do, didn't, for instance... If somebody accuses somebody of murder, it seems to be including the one in outside the school, it seems to me that's what you first investigate. Those are the concrete things that you can investigate if you're a police officer. And as far as I understand, there's no real indication that those murders were ever properly investigated at the very beginning, as they should have been. Shall we talk a bit more about Tom Watson? Because, you know, he crusaded over alleged VIP abuse. My words, you know, we have already discussed his bombshell intervention at PMQs in 2012, which really set the hair running on the, the, the alleged VIP paedophile ring at the heart of Westminster. Shortly before the pandemic, people may forget it by now, but there was a withering report by the Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse, the IICSA, which revealed February last year, uh, 2020, that his bombshell claim about uh, VIP paedophile ring operating at the heart of Westminster was baseless, that his statement alleging a powerful paedophile ring linked to Parliament number 10, which obviously was a significant factor in the setting up of that very inquiry, that there was no such ring, or certainly no evidence of one, and no attempt to cover it up. I mean, that was really quite shocking. Let me just quote from here, Lady Britton. The inquiry concluded 
There is ample evidence that individual perpetrators of child sexual abuse have been linked to Westminster. However, the inquiry has found no evidence to support the most sensational of the various allegations that there has been a powerful paedophile network operating within Westminster. And that was just another vindication for you and others caught up on the wrong side of this scandal, wasn't it? Yes. Well, I come back to my old point. I rather wish none of this had happened. Anyone who knew the way in which Westminster worked and indeed how the corporate culture of Westminster, in some extent, people like my husband, would know that all of this was nonsense. And, I mean, I failed to really take in the 2012 intervention, but I just feel that the, uh, the abuse inquiry was pretty painful, I think, for me personally, and indeed for Liam when he was around. He was in the running to become a peer, wasn't he? And he may well get a peerage yeah. in due course. Firstly, really clearly, you know, made some unbelievably hurtful remarks about Leon, both in life and and death. Firstly, your reaction to him not getting a peerage? Well, I don't really have a reaction. I mean, all I would say, and the only thing I wish to say publicly, is that the House of Lords abides by the same rules as the House of Commons, and both of them have parliamentary privilege. And I do think that there was a misuse of parliamentary privilege in the House of Commons by him. And I think just that the members of the House of Lords are legislators. And somehow or other, you do have to try and make sure that everyone who goes into the House of Lords does at least adhere to the seven standards of public life. One of those, perhaps, is you have to be honest and you have to be transparent and you have to have probity and you shouldn't do things that you shouldn't do, all of that, all of those seven principles of public life. I just feel sometimes that a lot of this stuff, a lot of what has been said is water under the bridge for me. But nonetheless, I do feel very strongly about the misusing the privileges that Parliament gives you. As we wrap things up, are there people you'd like to publicly thank for the support they've given you? There are many people who've been very, very supportive. I have all my political friends, and particularly those in the House of Lords, Norman Fowler and Norman Lamont and Christopher Tugendhat, have been very, very supportive, asked parliamentary questions when they needed to. The members of the press have been very supportive. Oddly enough, the, the late James Gillespie was extremely helpful to me in those very early days of you know being sort of miserable about it all. I don't think I could have survived part of 2015 without the support of Mark Gallagher and his PR skills. But I was lucky, who happened to be my lodger at the time. My family and my friends, I mean, all those people at least gave me enough confidence to fight on for the clearing of Leon's name. As we mentioned earlier, you were awarded damages by the Met for trespass during the searches on your homes. You wanted to talk about what you've done with that money, didn't you? I paid for my own legal costs, but I wanted to give all of it away, which I have done. And it's been done with some contribution to a, to a scholarship at my husband's old college at Cambridge. 
and to the university of which he was the chancellor, first chancellor, which is Teesside. For my fourth year of some scholarships for uh, two students per year, sometimes three, at Teesside University. And that's given me a huge amount of pleasure because I like to think that out of all of this has come the opportunity for others to do things that they wouldn't otherwise have done. When you marked Leon's death anniversary this week, you, know, you talked about the positive side of things that you've tried to get out of this, but you know, do you reflect still, particularly this week, on just how awful it was? Yes, my basic view is that I wish that none of it had happened. None of it. From 2000, I mean, right the way back, but certainly 2014 and beyond, that if none of that had happened, life would have been different, more peaceful, and he would have had a more peaceful death. He was denied the death, perhaps, that he deserved by the publicity beforehand and the publicity straight afterwards. And so I do feel quite strongly about that. So when I came to the commemoration on Friday, I didn't think those thoughts. I thought happier thoughts of the things that, you know, we'd enjoyed doing together, the places we'd been to. And I think that's the only way you can keep going for the future. You've got to be optimistic for the future. You can't be too bitter about what's happened. You just have to put that on one side, move on, and you know, be as positive as you can about the way ahead. And I just feel that what I set out to do in 2015 was to do my very best to restore the reputation of Leon, which had been taken away from him by lies and travesty. And that job's done now? I hope it's done. I feel it's done. And I've done everything that I've been able to do with help and the help I've talked about to make sure that it is done. Well, Lady Britain, thank you very much for joining me for this extensive interview about Leon's life and about your battle, if I'm allowed to use that word, for justice and certainly your battle to clear his name over a number of years. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. I'm Stephen Wright, and you've been listening to a Mail Plus True Crime Special, a series of interviews with Lady Britton, widow of the former Home Secretary, Leon Britton. <laughs>